0: Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Joe Lupton. And it's a pretty interesting time to talk about what's going on in the global economy. Before we got on the call, Joe told me that strength builds with increments. <laughs> and um, I think what we're seeing this week is incremental news, which generally is supportive of strong growth, and in some ways, perhaps taking out a little bit of the downside risk we've been worried about as we turn into the new year. Uh, So, Joe, why don't you take us through this first off on the growth stuff? Obviously, where we're going to go soon is to talk about the big Fed meeting next week. But let's, uh, let's start with the data and what we learned this week.
1: Well, I, you know, it's 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 really interesting, right? It's a, it's a battle of, of two forces here. You've got uh, you know a sense that momentum is rebounding after the big disappointing third quarter, and that there's a sense that at least in our forecast that things are supposed to get better in the fourth quarter. And now we're weighing that against uh, the the kind of potential risks around the the, the virus and the pandemic, uh, headwinds starting to pick back up. Um, you know, the the news of late, as as you pointed out, and I think we talked about it last week, uh, was is one of you know the monthly data flow these increments of strength and you know build, building and you can see it across a wide range of indicators. This week I would say the the, the biggest news was out of the, the the trade front in Asia where you you know we're seeing this stream of trade numbers uh, look look stronger and I would just call it like a reintegration of the supply chain. Um, And that's very encouraging because we've we've always said this is where things need to start and to kind of open up the floodgate of some healthy demand fundamentals that are that are out there. So we had strong trade numbers uh, from China echoing the strong numbers from Korea. We had strong trade numbers uh, in in Taiwan as well. So I think, you know, overall, I think it's a it's a continuation of a theme, which is uh, building momentum. uh, But, you know, we're cautious on some of the, the pandemic headwinds. Yeah, let me just reinforce that, because I think
0: you're right, the trade numbers out of Asia were a big part of this week's positives, but we're also getting good news from the auto industry in Germany and Japan, this week's data, and we certainly coming off of the November employment report and what we know about the auto industry in the U.S., we're looking for some pretty decent gains in November Mm -hmm. IP there. So there's a a nice story here that's connecting the dots on the uh, global industry side
1: that there frankly, is frankly i'm a little uh, it's it's a little surprising and I, I don't want to kind of talk down our forecast too much but you know if we felt like the the delta wave was a, a you know a, a decent part of the slowing in the third quarter it's given the rise in cases that we've seen even before omicron we've been pointing this out that cases were really rising and, and they still are a concern. Like the consumer is really coming back to life here. Now, maybe it's just a bit of a bounce off a low level and we should be concerned around the turn of the year. I think we are, and it's right to be. But, you know, at the end of the day, the data is pretty, pretty impressive.
0: Well, it is, but I think that gets to the other side of this, which is we are expecting pretty decent slowing in the northern hemisphere. I think in in each of the big economic parts of that northern hemisphere, the U.S., uh, the euro area, uh, China, our economists are talking about upside risks in Q4 and then are feeling that they're holding back on their Q1 because of the uh, the virus. In euro area, we've got the biggest slowdown to 2%. U.S., though, we've got two and a half. In China, you kind of stop this acceleration. So the question really there is, we do have a drag built in. The question has been, are we building enough of a drag in? And, perhaps most importantly, are we missing the more significant tail event that this is going to be far more damaging than we're anticipating? And the question is, how are we processing new information against that?
1: I mean, on top of it, Bruce, I mean, the resilience, I'm just going to underscore the resilience that we're seeing. And that's the message I would take, at least right now. um, It's not just against the rising cases. It's the fact that headline inflation is running the strongest we've seen in in many decades. And in the U.S., obviously, we just had that number this week, is pretty darn eye-popping. And the idea that I think we could be tracking U.S. consumer goods spending running over 7% this quarter at a time when you had inflation running the highest it's been in decades. I mean, that that, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. That's kind of a bit surprising. And then if we get through this resiliency test, which we're passing, by the time we move to the first quarter, inflation is going to come back down. And then you could really be kind of set yourselves up for some strong growth because we do think the fundamentals are strong.
0: Well, I think that's right. But I also think we should understand that part of what we're seeing in the fourth quarter is consumers eat into what we think is a very large reservoir of uh, financial balance sheet improvement in terms of uh, excess savings and wealth gains and there is i think a case to be made that a combination of having shown that resilience alongside a drag that starts to build from the um, uh, the new wave of cases whether it's omicron or delta or whatever uh, that 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 can contribute to some cooling in the consumer as we turn into the first quarter so i'm i'm comfortable that we don't want to extrapolate that strength into the first quarter. But I think the point you make is a very important one, is that the signal um, looking through these you know, ebbs and flows is is one of health and resilience of the consumer against a pretty uh, s- s- stiff headwind that kicks in in the uh, end of the year. Uh, you mentioned the case for inflation coming off here. Why don't you go into that a little bit, just so everybody's kind of up to speed as, as in terms of what our analysis has been on that front.
1: Yeah, I mean this quarter you've got you know headline inflation running six percent annualized. That's a quarter-on-quarter quarter sequential number. Um, you know you really had a confluence of of the three pieces of inflation come together to drive that kind of multi-decade high. You had core, which is uh, you know has been quite elevated and continued to be elevated uh, in the course of this quarter. Uh, but you also have food which took a little bit of a breather starting to pick back up and I think food inflation actually is a bit of a wild card in our outlook but it's it's looking quite strong right now and then of course you had energy just, really go off the charts, partly because of oil prices from the summer bouncing up, but also the natural gas story across uh, Europe, Asia, and the the US. All of those led to this 6% move. Energy is adding a little over three percentage points to that six percentage point gain. So if you just look at the energy prices, those have basically you know, come down. Oil prices are down quite a bit. Natural gas prices are off their highs. That means an outright subtraction to headline inflation in the first quarter. So that could go down to at least zero, maybe even a slight drag. And if you're just held everything else equal, you'd be back down to 6% uh, in the first quarter. So the, the point is for listeners to recognize that Downs it's almost great. a layup. Downs. It's Downs. a layup you're going to get inflation coming off. Yeah, down to towards
0: three percent is our forecast on the yeah. on the on the inflation numbers. Yeah. So yeah, so I think that's a that's a positive, and I think we will uh, basically, unless we get hit by a much more serious threat to um, to the virus, we'll basically continue to keep this thing moving, and that that I think is the context that we turn to think about central banks, which is that. You know, up until now, the pressure on central banks has largely been in EM, and it's largely been an uh, inflation story. The DM central banks have been showing patience, uh, anticipating that the inflation pressures prove temporary and start to, to fade. Well, they'll get some of that in the, in the first quarter, uh, but we're actually looking for the DM central bank community to be moving more rapidly towards the, the start of the rate normalization. Uh, So why are they doing that if inflation is coming off?
1: Well, I think it actually has, um, I was about to say little to do, it has little to do with the near term inflation story. Um, arguably, it has a little bit to do with near term in the sense they're taking a signal of what that's telling you about where the underlying kind of supply side of the economy is. But the bigger picture here is just what's happening in a more fundamental sense. And, I, you know, the the, the labor markets are tightening. Uh, I mean, the big move that we're seeing um, is, is in the U.S. where we've been changing our call. And we, we changed our call again this week to now see them starting the hiking cycle uh, in June with three hikes next year um, and also upping the pace of tapering to, uh, I believe it's 30, doubling that pace to, to uh, 30 billion a month. So, um, you know, that is really a reflection of the fact that we have an unemployment rate that gets down to close to 4% by the by the middle of next year, I think it is. No, we're um, down to about three and three quarters by the middle of the next year. Okay, so, below 4%. Yeah, up. below 4%. Um, so... You know, I, a sense that we've just we've moved far enough along in the expansion and in a world where our core inflation is, is running, has already kind of overshot the way they wanted and inflation looks like it's going to be settling above 2%. There's, there's no reason in the world you can argue that they should be as accommodative as they are right now. I think you could arguably argue they shouldn't be accommodative at all, but at least we're going to start to get back to some sense of normalcy.
0: Well, I think even more than that, when we look at the FOMC next week, we're actually expecting them to signal a return to neutral, their their estimate of neutral at two and a half over that three-year horizon. I mean, the point you're raising- yeah, By
1: 2024.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, it's a long path. And we'll see what happens. But as you, I think the important point here is the guidance is shifting. As you noted, it's shifting uh, because labor markets have tightened more rapidly. They're not feeling- There is as much uh, slack, as much they need to go in terms of maintaining super accommodated policies. I think another thing is if we look at the performance in the fourth quarter, which you rightfully uh, highlighted its resilience, and then we get through the Omicron uh, threat in the early part of the year, I think it's going to reinforce the sense that you don't have nearly as fragile a expansion as you might have been worried. And you can actually start doing this uh, without having to be... Uh, too concerned about the threat uh, to the life of the expansion. So I think we've got central banks uh, and the DM on the move. Having said that, as we uh, changed our forecast this week to take back a Bank of England tightening for uh, next week, uh, because we think they're going to wait this out and see what happens with the uh, the latest wave of, uh, of pressure points. Uh, we do still have a bunch of EM central banks tightening and, and a bunch of them on tap for for next week. But rather than um, um, go through that, that story, since we don't have the time, uh, just give us one last uh, message here, Joe. Uh, we've got flash PMIs out. We're starting to get December surveys. The common fast and furious here, the data. What is it that we're looking for in the signal there?
1: Uh, I would say more of the same. I mean, if we really feel like the bottleneck pressures are continuing to to come off, uh, the idea is that that was a source of constraint on the production side of the goods producing sector. So, uh, you know, I'd expect to see some some further improvement there. Uh, You know, hopefully. I don't know. It's, it's a bit hard for some of the inventory pictures in those surveys to look better, particularly out of the developed markets, which are more downstream producers. And I'm not sure we're really at that stage yet. Uh, But you know, I, I think the basic tone of the of the report should should be positive. And then also, I guess, you know, watch the service uh, components there, because that is going to be your indicator of of whether the, the recent rise in, in cases is starting to to do some damage there and potentially more damage than what we're what we're expecting. And I think with that
0: a particular focus on Europe, because that's where the center of that stress point is right now.
1: And it's worth reminding we do have the ECB next week, which is moving in that direction of actually adding a little bit more, uh, kind of a glide path on on its balance sheet, um, you know, path, uh, extending its its uh, pace of it of its PEP program. Right, they're
0: going to eliminate the
1: PEP program, but put
0: something recovery in- PEP, that, right? <laughs> that put that continues uh, uh, to to keep the pace of purchases. We think at, at roughly 50 billion euros a month. So with that. Um, let's end there. Uh, lots to watch, lots of really interesting things going on. Uh, let's continue the conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.
1: Thank you.